On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one-up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, stories from the road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Captain Matt. Captain Matt's been involved in the fire service for 14 years as a firefighter and a paramedic. He spent five years as a lieutenant, and for the last six months, he's been serving as a captain. He's got an interesting story, um, because not only is he a firefighter, but he's also a sworn police officer uh, providing medical support to SWAT teams when they run into situations where they need medics to be involved in their operations. So, Matt, thank you for taking the time this morning, and thank you for sharing your story from the road. I'll turn the mic over to you. All right. It's good to be on here, Phil. I appreciate you having me. Uh, yeah, so I've been um, I've been in public safety now for uh, about 14 years. Uh, started off as a um, as a firefighter for a, a small uh, department, Metro Atlanta. Uh, from there, I went to uh, paramedic school and then um, spent some time uh, on a uh, I'll go ahead and say the uh, agency name of this one, but for a great EMS, you know, in downtown Atlanta, which uh, got a lot of experience there, got a lot of education. Um, from there, went back into the fire service uh, shortly, and um, and I've been uh, my current department, uh, which is a little bit larger, um, you know, Department of Metro Atlanta, now for about ten years, and um, yeah, I've been um, gotten some great experience there, some great opportunities. Um, uh, been a captain now for about six months, but um, also uh, like you said, SWAT medic, and um, uh, about three years ago. Uh, got sworn. I went to the police academy, got sworn as a police officer and uh, kind of wear multiple hats. You can, you could say. It's unusual for a firefighter to be a police officer. I know in my experience, the firefighters that had gone through the police academy 
were working in fire investigations. So this is this is a little bit of an unusual situation, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and most of the time, you know, you, you tell people that you uh, you're also a sworn police officer. That's usually the first question I get. Oh, do you uh, do you do arson investigations? No, I actually know you know very little when it comes to uh, the average fireman on uh, on arson investigations. But we did it for. Um, you know, if you think about a a, a SWAT team and, and the tactical element, you also need to have that medical support. And uh, we've been doing it for years, but the issue you run into with uh, with some teams is that now with a, a paramedic involved or a, a tactical medic, you have to have uh, security for that medic. And um, they realize that if we if we sent a few of us, or they sent a few of us to uh, to get mandated and get sworn, then they basically freed up an operator to put back into the the tactical scenario in the situation. So it was more of a manpower decision. Uh, we don't do, you know, even though I am sworn law enforcement, we, we still, my primary goal or my primary job is still uh, the medical support and uh, still haven't lost sight of that, even though we, you know, we train uh, just like any other operator uh, with entries and, and, um, and shooting and, and every aspect of that, we still, our primary role is, is always medical. My dad was a uh, uh, an Atlanta police officer. He retired uh, about ten years ago. He had about twenty five years on the job. And um, um, when I was a kid, he would he would take me down um, down into the city uh, pretty regularly. And he worked over with uh, the West End, and is really one of the original kind of suburban areas when Atlanta was was prospering back in like the forties and fifties. Uh, but he worked down in the West End, and that's where um, Old Station Seven in Atlanta is and station seven was built in like 1916. They're actually still into the station this day, uh, of course, renovated, but he used to take me into the station and uh, get to see the truck and get to see the guys there. And um, he was very, um, you know, that, that made a huge impact on me. And some of my earliest memories are, are going to that station and it always stuck with me. I mean, you could, you could ask him and say that, you know, my fourth or I want to say it's probably my fifth birthday. I asked him to uh, start a fire in the backyard so I could put it out. And uh, just stories like that. And um, it always stuck with me, you know, through grade school, through high school. It's all I ever wanted to do. Um, so I went to college and against my better judgment, dropped out of college. And uh, of course, later went back, but um, dropped out of college and um, and started trying to get hired on to uh, a fire department. Uh, eventually got picked up. And then uh, and that's kind of where I am now. But, um, you know, one thing I always go back to is just that. This is literally what I've always wanted to do um, since I was a kid and seeing that passion, you know, you, you go out and, you know, you see the kids out in the street or the grocery store, or they come in the station, you see that passion that you had as a, as a kid. And that really kind of really jumps out and it really kind of stays with me that, man, that's, that's where I was, you know, years ago. And, and uh, you never know who you come across and, and, and what kid you see and that ends up having that, that same passion you did. Background of the story. So we, uh, this was 20 January, 2014 actually coming up probably on the anniversary here soon of, uh, of, you know, if you remember the snow apocalypse we had, uh, down in Atlanta, that's the, the term we give it at least, uh, snow apocalypse, but, uh, about a week after that incident uh, where we had, uh, uh, some pretty substantial snow and ice, we actually had another smaller snowstorm come through. So I, uh, I was stationed, uh, at the time I was a firefighter you know, riding in the back, um, you know, we call it tailboard for, uh, for those in the public, just to, as a nickname, but, uh, I was a firefighter riding in the back of the, uh, the, the ladder truck, uh, that day. But, um, 
it uh, started snowing, I want to say about 8 p.m. Uh, we looked out, you know, sun's, sun's down, um, it starts snowing lightly. And then, um, you know, we've, we've at that point, because of the previous snowstorm and then in the years we've had before that, you know, we had extra staffing available. We had, we put up extra vehicles with, uh, to deal with, uh, numerous kind of incidents like trees down and, and anything we might see on a, uh, I don't know, a typical snowstorm, at least down here in the South. But we, um, we get dispatched to a motor vehicle accident. Uh, one of the things I remember looking back at it, that there was no, uh, there was no kind of uh, anything that jumped out of us uh, that it was going to be a quote abnormal call. Uh, it was dispatched just as a regular um, motor vehicle accident with possible injuries. And that was really it. So uh, we pull out of the station. And one of the first things I notice is the amount of police cars that we see uh, in front of us behind us. And, um, you know, we're, we're getting closer to the scene and, um, you know, as we, as we're pulling up, um, the, again, one of the things I, I always kind of remember and jump back to is just to see blue lights that I, I see in front of me. So it obviously indicated something big, but, you know, it's sometimes you guess whether you're not, you're not thinking straight or you're, you're not, um, you're, I guess, focused on something else. You don't think about something's not quite right about this one. He had that kind of, you know, I had that gut kind of saying that, but not really paying attention to it per se. So um, we get there. And uh, so kind of set up going back a little bit. um, My, we had a little bit abnormal crew that day. Uh, My captain, who was typically assigned at the station with me, uh, was off. Um, She was, I can't remember what reason she was off, but she wasn't working that day. So we had uh, another captain from another station filling in, uh, filling in for her. So uh, tremendous amount of experience, uh, great leadership skills, and and I can't think of a better leader that we could have had for this type of call. So we get there and um, we immediately look over and the cars um, we call upright. So it's still on all four wheels, but the car is obviously pretty mangled. And um, immediately we have an officer uh, a police officer meet us at the truck before we even get out. And I can hear him say they're entrapped. Um, and for, um, for those that don't know, you know, that means somebody that can't willingly get out of the vehicle on their own. And so it's like, okay, you, we see the damage of the vehicle. The um, entire driver's side is pretty mangled and it, it's obvious that, yeah, that, that we're going to have a, we're going to have a, a, a period of having to extricate this person from the vehicle. And, most of the public hears the the term jaws of life. And, um, you know, that's actually funny because we don't ever call them that, um, you know, they're, they're hydraulic tools. They're, you know, we call them spreaders and they have hydraulic cutters and, and the Ram. And, uh, so, you know, we, um, we get out and, uh, and kind of a little funny side note, this was actually the first week we had gotten a, a brand new ladder truck. We had gotten a, we had just gotten a new fleet replaced. And uh, one cool feature about these trucks is we put all of our extrication equipment in the front bumper and uh, they were all hardwired into the truck. And literally the only, the only thing we had to do to turn them on was a, a button next to the driver that hit uh, that he had to hit and the tools were active. So there was no having to pull equipment out, you know, and, and the reason uh, we went with this was just to be able to, to have the access and the speed of being able to use these tools 
And um, myself and the other firefighter right in the back of me each get off. We, we grab, um, I grabbed the, the spreaders and uh, he grabs the cutters and we're walking towards the car. And, uh, you know, the captain is up at the driver's uh, window looking in and he looks back and he says, hold on, hold on a second. So, um, so I, I put the tool down and I walk up to his right and I'll never forget, um, the driver, um, the driver of our truck that day, the opera, uh, apparatus operators, we kind of call him too. Um, he's actually ironically my, uh, driver today. So we've, we've been together a good portion of our career. And, and we talk about this, this call and this, and this look we gave each other, uh, you know, during this call, but, He's on the passenger side of the vehicle. Um, he is uh, looking in, using his flashlight to look in, and I'm doing the same thing, basically directly across from him at the uh, driver's side um, and with at the rear window. And so we look over towards the rear of the car, and there's a two-inch hollow um, pipe that is actually into the car and the on the rear of the vehicle. So not something you commonly obviously see on a, on a vehicle accident, but, um, and this, this pipe is, um, you know, it, they're used for different things. If you see them on chain link fences, they're the, what's used for the, uh, um, the, uh, support. Um, they're also used for like railing. In this case, there was a railing on the side of the road where there was a sidewalk, uh, to prevent, you know, I guess anybody from falling down the little hill right there. Well, this vehicle had obviously run off the roadway. And, um, so we look over and we see this pipe, um, follow basically come into the car and we're taking our flood bar. Both of us are taking our flashlights and we're following this pipe and it goes into the car and it follows basically into the, the seat, the driver's seat on the rear of the driver's seat. And we see the pipe, you know, stop there. Well, at that moment, I leaned over kind of the shoulder of, of my captain, who's still in, you know, still in the window of the, the driver's uh, area. And I look down and I see a, a uh, the driver still sitting in the seat and the pipe is now through the seat, through him and down into the uh, floorboard of the vehicle. So and and again, this, you know, I still vividly remember a, a very, you know, wide eyed uh, looking up at my, my driver across from me and he's got the same look on his face. And, uh, you know, in that, in the moment of, of, oh my gosh, you know, I start tapping on, uh, I start hitting the shoulder of, uh, uh, my captain uh, that day. And, uh, and all he looks over and says, yeah, I know. And so, um, from that point, you know, that we, we immediately started going to work, um, um, we, it took about 30 minutes to actually get into the vehicle. We, um, you know, we needed to do what we call a side blowout where we had to take, um, both of the, um, driver's side doors and we needed to, um, uh, get them off the vehicle so we could gain access into the car. Um, at that time, you know, we have, you know, we have an ambulance on scene and, um, and we're able to get, um, both the paramedic and the EMT from that ambulance, which, at the time, the way we had the ambulances working in, in, um, in the city I work when, and we, um, we were stationed with them. So we knew, we knew this crew very well. And, uh, you know, typically you're not going to have, uh, uh, an EMS crew that that's only running EMS inside of a car that you're, you're working on education. Um, this was a unique scenario. So we go ahead, we went ahead obviously, um, and told them, yeah, go ahead and go ahead and jump in the vehicle and, uh, start providing care. 
So um, at that point, you know, we're able to get some better access uh, to the patient and um, he's, you know, looking at him, he's middle-aged male, I would say in his probably thirties. And this two inch metal pipe is, um, you know, like I said, it was through the seat through him and I actually took out a large chunk, uh, um, when I say chunk, a, a large portion of uh, the muscle on his leg, um, right kind of just above the knee. And um, and the pipe was embedded into the uh, floorboard of the truck um, in front of him. So he was, you know, essentially impaled. Uh, but it also involved the, um, you know, it, it, the pipe was also within the car itself. You're looking at a very complex uh, extrication scenario where you're not only having to remove somebody that's impaled by a, um, a, a object, but you're also looking at the object is also impaled within the vehicle itself too. So, um, we continued to work. We, um, we, we, it was one of those scenarios that you, you think about, you've heard on TV, maybe even see it on like shows, uh, like Chicago fire or something like that. You never, you never think, you never believe that, uh, it'll, it'll actually happen to you or you'll be able to run something like that. So, um, we initially, um, tried, you know, we're, we're, after coming up with a game plan, we initially tried our, um, hydraulic cutters, which if you think about, um, they're basically just giant scissors, um, with using hydraulic fluid to be able to cut through, um, various pieces of, of material, uh, one of the problems that we encountered was that um, with this being a brand new truck and a brand new set of tools, we had very limited training on on these tools. We actually hadn't used them um, to be able to practice or train on any other cars. So um, we uh, we took the cutters out. We first tried right in front of them to cut the pipe because we realized that we we're going to have to cut the pipe behind the seat and just in front of him and be able to uh, work him out of, out of the vehicle. And um, so we're, we're cutting with it and immediately, you know, the, once the, the, the cutters touch the pipe, the, the cutters kind of spin on you and they torque. So we realize, all right, that's probably not going to work. So we, we back up, um, we get out what we call a uh, Sawzall, which is a, um, Again, for those that don't know, it's a reciprocating uh, saw that has a blade that goes back and forth. Um, it can be used on um, you know various types of material as well. But one of the drawbacks to that is that if you start, if you use it on any kind of slick material or metal, it's going to slide around on you. It also vibrates, which we found out very quickly um, once we used the sawzall on the pipe that it um, it caused a lot of pain and. Um, to the patient. So he immediately starts screaming, does not like that. So we had to step back again. Uh, we went, we decided we went back to the, to go back to the cutters. And um, we realized that we had the first time we had tried them, we were going um, essentially way too fast. So we slowed down, uh, put the cutters uh, on the pipe about, I'd say about a foot in front of his chest and just very slowly uh, crimped the, uh, the pipe right in front of him went back to just behind the seat and did essentially the same thing. So now, you know, now that we've got the pipe cut, we, um, we were having a game plan how we're going to get him out of the vehicle because, um, you know, we can't take the pipe out of him. You know, we don't know what kind of damage is done. We don't know if there's any, uh, you know, blood vessels cut. You know, we're, 
So we're having to balance uh, um, getting him out, but also having to do it quickly because obviously he's got a he's got a pipe through the middle. So uh, we decided that the best case scenario was to, to basically move him and the pipe and pull the pipe through the seat and essentially just lay him, um, you know, bring the stretcher right up to the door and then just lay him down on his side. So we work, um, you know, we work on getting the pipe through the seat and then uh, we lay him down the stretcher and we, the use of pillows and blankets, you know, we were able to stabilize the pipe and, um, and get him into the ambulance. So with me also being a paramedic, you know, I decided uh, as we're getting him out and getting him loaded into the ambulance that, uh, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to ride in, you know, with the ambulance, which we typically do in the agency that I work for um, on, on a complicated or, or more serious uh, calls paramedic in the back of the ambulance has a lot to do. And sometimes uh, uh, taking along what we call a rider or somebody that, uh, um, that can assist uh, that paramedic is, is really beneficial. So um, I get back in the, the vehicle or the back of the ambulance and um, now keep in mind it's snowing. So, and uh, typically in, in, uh, in Georgia, the roads are not very uh, treated. So what would typically be a, 10 to 15 minute transport to our uh, a local trauma center took about 30 minutes. And so you're, you're thinking, you know, you're in the back of this ambulance and uh, uh, you're working on stabilizing the pipe. You're, uh, you're working on uh, the patient care, um, you know, vital signs and, and getting IV started. Um, on a positive note, he actually was presenting very well. He was, um, he had his vital signs were great. Um, he was, conscious, but he was kind of, uh, what we call altered. Um, he didn't know where he was. He didn't know what had happened. Um, he was asking a lot of, uh, the same, what we call repetitive questioning, asking the same question over and over. So one of, um, you know, one of the things I look at, you know, what happened after this was that, you know, I spent several years and I talked about at the beginning of the podcast that, um, uh, uh, I spent several years at Grady. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I chose to, to use their name just because, you know, the, the clout that that name carries around the Atlanta area. But it also um, at a several years of working there, you know, taking multiple traumas, gunshots, stabbings, um, uh, other car wrecks to uh, to the main hospital in Atlanta. And um, um, in all the years that I worked there and all the, the calls and traumas I brought in. Um, it was always the same thing. You know, you, you, you get, you get to the hospital, you, you take the patient out, you know, you walk in, they tell you what room you're going to, you go in the room and, um, usually you're met by uh, one or more physicians with, you know, uh, one or more nurses and you give your, your report and you hand the patient over and they begin their care there. Um, this was the first time that I had ever, um, been seen or, or been met on what we call being met on the ramp, um, at Grady, uh, we pull in there and there's multiple people, um, standing outside waiting for us, including the ER physician, which is just, honestly, it's unheard of. Uh, typically physicians don't leave, uh, in, inside the hospital to, to meet you on the ramp. So we open the back doors. There's already a team of people waiting for us. And, um, physician takes a look and says, yep, come on. Um, and another thing that uh, that really jumped out at me, we uh, we start walking through the halls of this uh, emergency room, and uh, 
they had just built a new portion uh, of the emergency room back then. It was an, it was a new trauma center and um, much newer, but it also took a little bit longer of a walk um, to get back to than the, uh, the original um, kind of trauma area in that ER. So um, as we're walking back, one thing I noticed is there's people lining the hall the entire way down. And they're just, you're, you're watching people that, that you can tell um, either work in other parts of the ER or even other parts of the hospital that are looking and um, trying to get any kind of glimpse. And uh, again, not to, to, you know, I don't believe it was to gawk or, or to recall rubbernecking as you see people on the highway, but I think it was to gain, um, you know, knowledge or insight on something that's not very commonly seen, somebody impaled by a, um, a pipe. So we roll back. We um, we go back to the emer- to the uh, to the trauma center, and um, as we're getting to the room that we're at, I see this uh, this man standing out in the um, the hallway, and obviously a physician of some sort, and uh, in a very stoic, very um, almost has that command presence um, aura to him. And he, uh, as we're coming up, he tells us very you know in a subtle way, "Stop right here," and. Um, found out later that he was the, the trauma surgeon and uh, came down to the emergency room to see, you know, to see what was going on. And so he took one look over the patient. Um, he took a look at our monitor, which had, uh, you know, the patient's vital signs. And uh, he says, Nope. And I said, we're not, we're not stopping here. So let's go ahead and go upstairs. Um, so that essentially means that he was going, he was taking this, this patient, this man um, that was impaled straight into surgery. Again, something I had never experienced typically, you know, as, as a paramedic on an ambulance, you know, we bring, we go to the ER and then from there, you know, the patient is, uh, um, you know, goes from there to into the surgery. So we actually get on the elevator, we go, you know, several floors up in the hospital, we go straight into a, uh, a surgical suite where there's already a team of, of nurses and, and other physicians and, uh, and techs there that are ready to start surgery. So we ended up, uh, you know, we moved the patient over. We give our, our report, everything that happened uh, on the scene. And uh, and uh, we hand them over and they start surgery right there, uh, removing the pipe from them. Um, yeah, kind of a funny side note, you know, we uh, it was so, so new to us. And I say new, but it was something we had never experienced before either, being pre-hospital providers to be able to go and straight into surgery. And so we're standing in an area where there's a window and you can see the surgery. And um, <laughs> we immediately got kicked out of there because, you know, the surgeon looks up and sees us watching and he, he starts losing his mind that the fact that these guys would come up here and uh, and uh, and watch this. So we got kicked out of there. Um, go back downstairs and, uh, you know, get cleaned up and head back to the station. Um so outcome for, uh, this patient, uh, amazingly, he walked in, uh, to the fire station six weeks later to thank us. And, um, possibly one of the cool, coolest things I've seen is that, uh, somebody that had, um, <laughs> who had a pipe through him six weeks ago that we were cutting out of a vehicle in the middle of a, uh, uh middle of a snowstorm, uh, walked into the fire station, um, six weeks later to, uh, um, just to, to say, Hey, and to say, thank you. And, um, um, he, he, you know, talked to us for a little while and he ended up telling us that, um, you know, the, the pipe that went through him, it, um, uh, he ended up losing, I think about four feet of intestine, um, ended up nicking, um, or cutting, uh, partially his spleen 
And he actually also had, uh, I believe, two fractured vertebrae and um, a small, actually had a fractured skull as well. So, um, yeah, he came in and uh, we talked to him and uh, got a picture with him, shook hands and, uh, and on his way. And I think that was that uh, that scenario, that call um, came out, uh, I would say, I, I couldn't say any more perfect. Um, a combination of the, the crew that I had um, between the other firefighters with me, the captain um, with his, his leadership abilities and um, the ambulance crew that we had with us. Um, it, it couldn't have gone really um, any better. Sounds like that was a career call. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned that uh, the captain that I had even said that that's that's a call in my career right there. And you're looking at somebody who already had 25, uh, somewhere between 25 and 30 years on the job as both a, a firefighter and a paramedic himself as well. And so for him to be able to say, wow, that was a call of a career. that blew me away here you're looking at at the time i had been on six years you know but you know six years on is about the time that you start to think that you know what you're doing and uh you you know you believe you know what you're doing but you look later you look you know as you get more years you look back and you're like no you didn't know anything and so i'm thinking to myself man that's a call you know career right there for him you know what is that for me you know what jumps out at me matt is you know and and i talk about this quite a bit (laughs) You know, this is a situation that uh, I, I think I'm correct in saying that you, your captain, your crew, the, the guys on the ambulance, nobody had ever faced anything like this before. You probably never trained for anything like this before. And I was listening to you tell this story and y'all had to figure it out. And mm-hmm. and that's something that, you know, I, I think in public service, whether it's fire, police, EMS, that's kind of a cornerstone of what, what you guys do every day is you you face something you never faced before and then you figure out how to overcome it. Uh, absolutely. You know, there, there are a lot of scenarios we train for and, uh, a lot of, uh, things we look at that, you know, we try to, to plan for and, and, and be prepared, but there, you just can't be prepared for every type of scenario out there. And that's why I take this, this situation and this call and really, um, I point to uh, him as a captain, as a leader, um, that him not probably not knowing what to do right off the bat either, but being able to have um, the command presence and the calm demeanor and to be able to stop for a second, slow down and think through the problem in front of you. And I think um, uh, that's something that is often missed in public safety um, because of the emotional, um, I don't say attachment, but you, you, if you get emotionally um, involved in the scenario, I think it takes away from um, the ability to, to stop and think. And, um, you know, like I said, be calm um, and, and look at the, uh, the situation in front of you and be able to, to solve the problem. So um, some big, you know, takeaways for me that I, uh, I kind of look at after this, uh, after this call, or after this event is, um, you know, this is mainly geared towards those, those that work in public safety. Um, leadership, leadership is huge. Um, the, those that are, that are leaders in the public safety, uh, uh, sector that having a, um, uh, I can't, I can't, uh, underestimate, or I, I should say, I, I should overemphasize the ability to, to stay calm, um, in a scenario and having a, uh, command presence. Um, I can't imagine how differently this, um, this call would have gone if I'd not had the captain, um, on the scene that, that I had. And, um, 
you know, you, again, those that work in public safety know when I say this, that there, there's those, you know, you know, the strong leaders you have around and you know, the, the ones you don't. And, uh, and if you don't know who that is, and you're probably the ones that, 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 uh, that don't have that and, and that can be developed. And, um, and for those leaders that are out there, I, I encourage them to, to continue to work on their craft and not just within their, um, their field, but work on your leadership abilities too. Um, think about the craziest scenarios you can and um, um, try to figure out how you're going to work through it and deal with it and, and train with your crews and train on your, uh, your uh, um, leadership. Um, next is working as a team. Um, and I, I, I know it's one of those uh, sayings that, you know, it's kind of sometimes overused, but um, training together as a crew, this uh, crew that I had um, besides the captain that I didn't normally work with the other, um, the other two, we'd have been together for at that point, probably two years, two to three years. And um, we had run numerous uh, calls together, um, you know, numerous structure fires, numerous, you know, uh, critical medical calls. Um, you can kind of, whatever you can name, we, we had run together. And um, um, again, crew integrity and, and keeping these uh, that, that your crew together is and training together is, uh, is huge. Um, and lastly is kind of a knock on, uh, um, ourselves. Um, one of the things that I think about that maybe could have gone a little better is knowing our, knowing your equipment, knowing your equipment and training on that equipment. And it's, it's not an excuse on us, but, uh, you know, I guess I had mentioned before we had, um, we had just gotten new equipment and, um, uh, we had not trained, we, even though we, we thought we trained on it, we hadn't trained on the, on kind of the minute details we probably should have thought about. So I, I encourage, um, again, any of those that work in public safety, whether it's fire, EMS, or, um, um, you know, even law enforcement, train on your equipment, train on the equipment that you don't use a whole lot. Um, I think that's what a lot of people, you know, we don't use our extrication equipment a whole lot. And, uh, um, you know, we could have taken some time to, um, um, to use that equipment and, and train with it to be able to more effectively, uh, maybe even you know, get him out of that car faster. Granted, uh, granted it was, it was still a great scenario. And, and I say great scenario, it, it could have, it, it worked out well and uh, a great outcome. Um, but if I had to look back and be kind of critical on anything that uh, we could have done better, it was definitely uh, uh, training on that equipment. Um, so some takeaways for, I guess, the general public is that um, support of your, um, EMS and fire and EMS agencies around you. Um, I can't talk about enough about how this call went the way it did because of the leadership that we had and the equipment that we had. Uh, I'm fortunate to work for a, a, an agency that um, is able to have a, um, a very generous budget. And, um, I, you know, and I'll be honest, it, we, I work in a very wealthy area and I realize that's not very, um, you know, commonplace, but, um, if you work, if you live in an area where, um, that doesn't have this ability, I, I encourage uh, those in the public to get involved with the budget process, get involved with the details of, of what your public safety agencies are spending their money on. Um, you know, the, there's, you know, in this day and age, you know, we have, uh, there, there's multiple agencies out there that have aging equipment. They have um, the, you know, it, it's hard for them to get funding to replace that. Uh, and another kind of area too is, is retention. 
So I talk about this captain and this leader who was so vital to the call we ran and we ended up losing him um, um, about two years after that. And I say losing him, he he left to to go to another agency and and uh, eventually you know became a chief. But if you look at the retention um, that we could have, if we had held on to this leader, um, shoot, you, you can probably guess he may have been a chief of the agency that I work for now. So I, I encourage the public to get involved with. Um, their public safety agencies or in their in their local governments to be able to get involved with that budget process and um, really work on um, employee retention and, and equipment. Well, thanks, Matt. Those are some great takeaways. And I, I think everybody listening, whether they're involved in public service or if they're just uh, somebody from the general public that's interested in the work that folks who work in public service do every day, I think they, they can get something out of what you just said. And I think it's important uh, you make a great point. You know, the general public should be involved in what public service is doing day in and day out because, you know, they're the people that are being served. So again, thank you for taking, thank you for taking the time this morning and, and sharing this story from the road. Uh, I appreciate it. And I, I can't wait to have you back to talk about another one. Absolutely, Phil. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this or other podcasts we're producing, please visit browndogsmedia.com. Thank you for listening.